Well, praise the Lord. What a thrill to be here this morning. Amen. Brother Jordan done a great job. He's going to be leaving us. They're going to be, he's taking a job. He'll be over there about six weeks and he'll be back. But he's taking a job at Van Independent School District. Amen. Uh, enough said. Will you pray for him, all right? And uh, no, he'll be a great, he'll do a great job. Thank you so much, Jordan and Nicole. Turn, if you would, to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33 we'll be looking at this morning. And we're preaching through the prophets on Sunday morning during the, the remainder of the summer. And uh, this morning I want us to think about the topic, you are somebody. You're somebody. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 7. And then we will flip over and read one verse out of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, verse uh, 10 of chapter 34, but Exodus 33, Exodus 33, verse 7. Stand with me, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up, stood every man at his tent door, looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And then one verse, just let me read it for you. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you how we've been blessed in the music. And uh, we pray, God, your spirit would continue to fill this place and have your way in every heart that's in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Moses was considered to be uh, the greatest of all prophets. I know John the Baptist came on the scene and many looked to him as the last Old Testament prophet. Uh, and uh, Jesus said of all the, the preachers born to women, this is the greatest of the preacher. But the, the Old Testament leans to Moses as being the greatest prophet. He spoke face to face with God. He had great ability. He had great spiritual gifts. He had great character. He had great courage. And he made great achievements. And through Moses, God was able to deliver the nation Israel out of bondage, and he prepared them to go to the promised land under the man that Moses mentored, Joshua. And there's something that I've noticed about great men and women, uh, and it's even true today. Many great men that I know of that I looked at as being great have gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, people like Adrian Rogers and W.A. Criswell and John R. Rice, folk like that. Uh, but I, I find something unique about all of those people. Those who were great men and women of God never perceived themselves to be great. 
Others looked at them and said, boy, they're great men of God. They're great women of God. But they never perceived themselves to be great. If I could come down and just sit beside you this morning and just talk with you one-on-one, I would like to explain to you that you're great. God's got something great for you. Your destiny is something that no one else has. You have to fulfill it. God has a desire and a plan for your life. Jesus Christ died on the cross with you in mind, shed his blood, raised from the dead, and you've been born from above. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's not chance. That's not mistake. That's not fate. That's not accident. God has a spiritual destiny for you. You're somebody in the eyes of God. We see it fleshed out here in the life of Moses. Uh, the Bible says in Numbers 12, 3, that Moses was an humble man, very humble man. He was the most humble man, in fact, who ever lived. Meek. We call that meek or meeker or meekest or humbleness, and a lot of people misunderstand that. They think it's like, uh, that means he was lethargic. He was like a doormat. He just let people walk over. That's not, well, let me tell you something. Meekness is not weakness. The New Testament example of it is a wild horse that has been uh, trained and has a bit in its mouth. Uh, that, in other words, meekness is strength under control. That, that's what the New Testament idea of it is. Now, Moses was a leader that never got stuck on himself. He was blessed to have meetings face to face. The Bible says God spoke to Moses like one man speaks to another. And yet he never puffed up about it. Tremendous gifts, strength of his character, all under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now notice with me three things here. Now first of all, I want you to notice his past. Now, some of you need to stand up and take attention to this because there are too many people today who are sitting on the sidelines in the kingdom of God because their past was bad. You say, well, I've had a bad past, and I'm not able to do anything for God anymore. And I'm not able to, to teach, I'm not able to witness, I'm not able to do anything, and God can't do anything for me because of my past. They're ashamed of their past, they're running from their past, they're trying to cover up their past, trying to be somebody that they're not. Well, could I just tell you, Moses was born in a mud hut on the river Nile, far away from the nation Israel, into a home of humble parents in a shack that had no future whatsoever. And there arose a Pharaoh, the Bible says, that knew not Joseph or the God of Joseph. And he got scared about all the Israeli kids being born. And he made out a decree that every child two years old and younger had to be killed. That's what Moses grew up in. Living in fear in a mud hut. You may have been born in the worst circumstances, the most horrible, most terrible, ungodly circumstances. Maybe your parents were like Moses. They didn't have much, but they loved God and they pointed you toward God. Listen, don't be ashamed of your past. If it was bad, don't be a prisoner to it. Because what you were is not going to determine what you're going to be. See, what you were is before Jesus. Woo, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Since Jesus came into my heart. Amen. What you did in your past does not determine what your future is. 
This man, Moses, the greatest of all prophets, spoke face to face with God, most humble man on the face of the earth, led in the construction of the tabernacle, led a nation out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt in, in uh, captivity and bondage, and an entire nation to freedom, born on the banks of the Nile River in a mud shack to humble people who had no future. That's his past. Think with me also about his preparation. How did God prepare him? See, most folk, uh, they want to be used of God. They really do. I, I was in music and youth many years before I became a pastor. And Brother Dale, you know this. All kinds of people want to sing out here on Sunday morning. They just don't want to prepare for it. Some of them ain't got no business singing Sunday night or Wednesday night, let alone Sunday morning. But they don't want to prepare for it. How does God prepare a man like Moses to lead a nation out of captivity? One of the most important lessons I think I've learned, I'm trying to learn, is that everything around me has significance. Even the little things. The little things that you think don't matter play a major role in your development. I mean, even the little things. And then, I want to tell you what else I've learned. Uh, whatever experiences or whatever blessings I have experienced, there's always a bigger blessing in the future. Now, you've, I'm preacher, I don't know about it. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying what I've learned. Every time I think God has blessed so much that I cannot get over it, God blesses again bigger than that. Just because God's blessing right now, he's got something bigger in the future. Whatever great thing God has done in my past, there's always something up ahead even greater. You say, well, what about that? I'll tell you what it does to me. It makes life exciting for me. I never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. People who are bored serving the Lord just ain't got the same God I got. Every day's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Moses attended, as I can count them, at least four kinds of school. One was a school of the home. Moses had godly parents. Uh, they were slaves in Egypt, but they were true to their God. Nowhere, in fact, you go over in, in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find by faith they never did give in to the nation Egypt. They never did give in to the world. The whole time they were raising this boy, they said, look, you're a Hebrew. You don't worship idols. You worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. God is who you worship. Never. They were people of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, continually in Hebrews chapter 11. Money can't buy that. Wealth can't buy that. They had a faith in God for God who was who he said he was and God who would do what he said he would do. Now, you have to understand this, that when Moses was born, if they would have found out Moses had not been killed, not only would Moses have been killed, but his whole family would have been killed. But they said, we're going to take the chance. We're going to take the circumstances. Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Three months. You know what else I've learned in life? I've learned that when you fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. People who are afraid of all this other stuff, they, 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 you just ain't feared God. My God owns it all. The God we serve can do anything. Nothing too hard for him. The Bible says in verse 23, they saw that he was proper. 
Some of your translations may say beautiful, but basically in the Hebrew it goes back to he was no ordinary baby. There was something special about this young man. And let me tell you something, folk, your baby is not ordinary either. There's something special about every child that God creates. I've got a little grandson, Charlie. His mom and daddy might not like it, but I've already claimed him for the Lord. And I think they'll like it, but, you know, they probably won't like what God maybe do, does with him, just like a lot of you wouldn't like what God does with your children if you'd let go. You need to tell your kids to follow what God wants them to do and quit pushing for what you want them to do. I won't charge you for that. Being a missionary in a foreign country is probably not a, uh, a glorious life. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I, I thank God God didn't call me to be a missionary. But if God does call me to be a missionary this week, I'll tell you what, I believe I'm going to quit and I'm going to go be a missionary. Because I'd rather be in the center of God's will than anywhere else. Children are special. You ought to speak words of affirmation to them. It, while the child's in your room, you, I, now I'm not talking about power of positive thinking. I'm just telling you, words of affirmation encourage each other. You, you ought to tell your children, hey, you've got a destiny in life. You're special before the God. You're God's child. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you. God's going to use you. God used Ruth. God used Moses. God used Jeremy. He over and over and over, and God wants to use anyone who's surrendered. Little baby, <laughs> that little baby breaks dishes, slams doors, constant runny nose, can dirty a diaper at the most inopportune time. <laughs> I mean rough. God's got a destiny. It's a privilege to have someone like that. I see these parents on Facebook, they're wore out. Give out. I know why God gives babies to younger parents. I know that. Bless God, I know that. As a grandparent, the greatest sight sometimes you can see is the tail lights to them as they leave <laughs> the house. Amen. I know why God gives, but I, I, I'm thinking, come on, guys, what'd you think these kids were going to do? You're the one wanted, kids. <laughs> Toughen up. Suck it up, man. That little snotty nosed kid who belches and burps and breaks everything, tears up everything, get a hold of, and does other things too. I can't even mention here this morning. Wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning. He's special. God's got a destiny for him. Don't be like the parents I used to watch doing t-ball. My soul in sad exile. My, it's t-ball. You put a ball on a tee and you hit it. And you hear parents complaining because their kid didn't hit a home run. I'm thinking all the time, bless God, I wish I had that in my golf game. I could do pretty good at golf if I had a tee like that that you could swing level with and hit. <laughs> and then Little League, don't even get into Little League. They're nuts. I'm not talking about the kids. I'm talking about the parents. Kicking the dirt, hollering and screaming and all of that. God taught me a lot about life just with my kids in Little League because we never were on no great. We had, a, we had a couple of winning seasons where we won a couple of things. But most of the time, bless God, we're just happy to get a hit. I remember coaching a lady softball team. We got beat 37-3. to three. I was down in Shreveport, and uh, this hefty lady, I, I led her to the Lord. I said, uh, do you play softball? 
She said, yeah. I said, you show up tonight. Remember, she knocked three home runs at night. Only three runs we got. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, God taught me a lot in losing. But them kids would kick the dirt and they'd just be, you know what I'd do when we lost? I'd say, get in the car. We're going down to the local convenience store. I'd get an ROC and a moon pie. But they'd get a Slurpee with a baby Ruth. And everything was all right. Everything was all right. <laughs> Man, have mercy. If you do the best you can, I mean, good grief. You, I see parents that their kids get an A, and then they want to chew them out because they didn't get an A+. Plus. You know, there are kids who are walking around. There are some of you adults who walk around who are a case of the nerves because no one has ever affirmed anything you've ever done. God loves you. You're special. Greatest lesson you can teach your children is about Jesus, the need to be saved. I mean, you can only conceal a baby for so long. Then after about three months, the Bible says they kept him three months. I'm sure he's crying his guts out after three months. And they built this little ark made out of a wicker basket, tarred and pitched it there, just like Noah did in his ark. They put him in that basket, and they sent Miriam out there to watch it, and they put him in the, in the uh, marshes there of the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter comes along to take a bath, and she hears that baby, and she says, fetch me that baby, and I know it's a Hebrew baby, but it's a baby, and I've always wanted a baby, and I'm going to raise this baby. And Miriam comes out and says, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you're probably going to need a nanny to take care of that baby. Yeah, I probably am. Would you like for me to get you one? Well, yeah, go right ahead. Now, you, listen, you think God's not in control? She goes back. Pharaoh's daughter pays cold, hard cash for Moses' mama to raise him. A woman living in a shack in a mud hut on the side of the Nile River. And you don't think God can supply your need? That's how good God is. Man, have mercy. But all through his life, his family had taught him, his mama had taught him, you're a Hebrew. You're not an Egyptian. You don't worship idols. You worship God. He had parents who pointed him to God. Let me ask you something this morning, parents. Are you pointing your children to God? I'm not talking about, well, I bring them to children's church and Miss Christie does a great job. No, I, no, 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 no. Miss Christie is not mama and daddy. You are. Same thing goes for grandparents. Are you really pointing your kids to God? So he had the school of the home. He also had a school of life. He may be a great university, technical schools. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't make any difference. The deal is you're going to rub shoulders with the world. See, God is not a God of isolationist. God is a God of separation. We're not to isolate ourselves. I asked David Koresh how that worked out for him. We're not here to isolate ourselves. We're here to separate ourselves from the world, but we're still in this world. Even in a secular job, God is using things to mold us and to make us into what he wants us to be. So there's a school of home, there's a school of life, there's a school of mistakes. Old Moses goes out and he sees an Egyptian whipping an Israeli one day, so he kills the Egyptian, buries him. 
Then not long after that, he sees two Israelis fighting each other. And he said, boys, y'all ought not really be doing that. And they looked at him and said, who are you to tell us not to do that? You killed an Egyptian. So the word was out. So Moses leaves. He scatters. He is 40 years out on the backside of a desert. You see, Moses was trying to do the right thing at the wrong time, at the wrong place. He wanted to deliver his people, but only God could deliver his people. He didn't need to do something for God. He needed God to do something through him. So for 40 years, he tended sheep, school of mistakes. He learned how to lead people by tending sheep. God's people are called sheep. They need a shepherd. They're not the smartest person in the world. They're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I have never driven up into a home where somebody had a sign out there, beware of sheep. <laughs> I've never seen that. Seen a lot of them beware of dogs, but never beware of sheep. Never. Psalm 23 talks about the still waters because a sheep would have to drink at a place that was still. They would fixate on a stick floating down the stream and they just walk off a cliff. Moses is going to learn how to deal with people by tending sheep. God's people are sheep. They fight each other. They butt heads with each other. Got to have a church member. That's why you have a pastor. You sit over here in this corner. You sit over here in this corner. And then I want to tell you, it's like herding cats. This man right here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half-wild short hairs. Well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning, right here. And if you look at his face, it's it just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you, you hear the stories, it's... I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. It ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and you ain't lost a one of them, ain't a feeling like it in the world. All right, I know I'm going to get some emails over that. EDM. I know that. But it's the summer. Bless God, we're going to have a little fun. Amen? I mean, Moses learned whether you're herding cats or whether you're herding sheep. If you don't have the Lord, you messed up. It absolutely evolves around God. Evolves completely around God. Moses is out there, whether you're herding cats or sheep, without God, he's going to fail. And then there's a school of God. There's a school of home. There's a school of mistakes and the school of, of learning. And then there's a school of God. One day, old Moses is walking along. You remember the story. And a bush is on fire. <laughs> hey, wow, a bush. Now, God speaks to him through that bush, and he says, Moses said, who are you? He said, I am. You go tell folk I am. Well, who's I am? I am whatever you need. I am. I am. Now, you see, here's what people don't see. The burning bush is a picture of Moses. Most people don't see that. They think the burning bush is a picture of God. No. 
Any old bush can burn. There's nothing fancy about that bush. There's nothing special about that bush. What's special about that bush is the fact that God's in that bush. And listen, what's going to be special about Moses is not Moses, but it's the fact that God's in Moses. Now listen to me. What's going to be special about you is not you. You're just the ordinary common old Joe. But you put God in you, and you become very special. Very special. That's what's going to make you. One old preacher preaching this passage said, any old bush will do. Let me give you this last thing and we're through. Some of y'all say, I, I, I told the group this morning over at Arabella, I preached the same sermon over there, but we sing and I preach and I'm through in 30 minutes. And I told them, I said, don't you tell our church people now that they could come here at 830 and be out by nine because uh, <laughs> this place would be swamped. And, and they said, well, why do you preach so long at your church? And I said, because they need a double load of it. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Notice his past and notice his preparation and then finish up with me. Notice his purpose, his purpose. What is his purpose? He, he's going to deliver a whole generation from slavery. What's he got? He's got a staff, the rod of God, and he's got face-to-face -face talking with God, the direction of God. You got the power of God and you got the word of God. And I want to tell you, when you get the power of God and the word of God in your life, you'll fulfill your destiny out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. He's great because here's one man who's willing to come to an end of himself and let God be God. I want to bring the gospel in just for a moment as we close out. There are three kinds of arcs in the Bible. There's the one we just looked at. Moses uh, would have never become the man he was unless he'd come to know Jesus Christ. You'll never be anything for God until, first of all, you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may be sitting here this morning saying, man, I need a better job. I need a better family. I need to do this. I need to do that. No, the first thing you need to do is make sure you've got eternal salvation because that's the foundation of everything. So the three kinds of ark, one we talked about this morning, the ark of the bull rushes. Moses was put into it. Pharaoh was a type of devil. He was out to destroy Moses and, and the other children there in Israel. But, it, but he was protected in that little ark put out in that Nile River. Then there's the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box in the Holy of Holies, had a mercy seat. The blood was shed there, and it would save people from their sin. And then there was Noah's Ark. In and out, it was put with tar and pitch and it protected Noah and his family from the wrath of God that he was pouring out upon this world. All three of those arcs are a picture of Jesus. All three of them. When you're in Jesus, you're truly saved. You're in Christ. You're saved when you're in Jesus. The ark of the bull rushes from the fury and slavery of the devil. Boy, when you're in Jesus, the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The devil can't touch you. When you're in Jesus, you, you remember the Noah's Ark, you're saved from the wrath that God's going to pour out against sin. It's coming. The end of this whole deal that we know it is coming to an end. I believe it. I don't know when it's going to happen. If it has anything to do with me, it's going to happen soon. I'm ready for it. I'm sick of hearing, well, I'm just ready for it. I'm just ready. Amen. 
I'm just ready. I'm ready. I'm telling you, if there was a bus out here today, I'd, li- I'd be the first one in line. And then when you're in Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant, you're saved through the blood of Jesus from the wages of sin and say, of sin and, and death. The Bible says we're justified, that's first tense. The Bible says we're sanctified, that's second tense. The Bible says we're glorified, that's third tense. We're saved, saved, saved when you're in Jesus. What you do now determines where you spend all of eternity. Saved from the fury of the devil, saved from the wrath of sin, saved from the bondage of sin. When you're saved, you become somebody. George Washington Carver was a great man in in our history. He was born to a slave family, looked at as having very little value. In fact, there was a time in George Washington Carver's life where he was traded for a broken down horse. Because everybody looked at little George Washington Carver and said, he won't ever amount to nothing. He's useless. Now he grew into manhood and became a great thinker and a botanist and a chemist and great inventor. And I don't know, 75, 80 years ago, it was determined that what he had accomplished would amount to over $750 million 75, 80 years ago. That's a lot. That's a lot. From the home of a slave. That's what God can do. Moses, a slave in a mud hut on the banks of the Nile River, and God raised him up to do something great. I believe with all my heart, God wants to raise some folk up in this place today. Not to glorify you, not even to make you think you're great, not to ease your conscience, not to do all that, but he wants to raise you up Because he sees what you can become in the kingdom of God. He sees the lives that you can change and the lives you can touch in the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, you're an influence. People are watching you. Step one is to know that you're saved, to be saved. That's step one. You don't have that step, forget about anything else because you're going to fail. It has to come with Jesus first. I invite you to come this morning. You still, we're in a day of grace. You say, what's a day of grace? Well, it's the day between the time uh, of the uh, cross and the resurrection and the time of the coming of Jesus and the rapture. It's a day of grace. You've got an opportunity to make a decision. A lot of folk don't think that. A lot of folk think that you already condemned or you already going to heaven or hell. It makes no difference. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Man, if God would have condemned anybody to hell, why didn't he make hell big enough to handle everybody? The Bible says every time somebody dies and goes to hell, hell has to enlarge itself. I'm telling you, God's given you. Some of you this morning are lost without Christ. And God this morning, because of his loving kindness and mercy, is giving you one more opportunity to be saved and to come to Jesus Christ. He's giving you that. For those of you who are saved, you need a church home. I got some news. We're trying to build a building. We need members. <laughs> Come on out here and roll your sleeve up and go to work for the glory of God. You won't find anything that's against the Word of God except maybe that cat video. <laughs> <laughs> I may catch heck over that this week. This church got some great Bible study leaders, life group leaders that love the Lord and are teaching the Word of God verse by verse. 
theme by theme. This church has a great youth ministry and children's ministry and college ministry, senior adult ministry. You can go on and on and on. And all of it's done so that people can be saved before Jesus comes. If we don't see that, nothing else matters. Father, thank you this morning for dealing with each one of us. Lord, I know your presence in this place today. And your Holy Spirit is touching hearts and lives today. I'm praying for those, Lord, that will be saved, who have finally given up. They've tried everything the world has to offer, but today they're going to come to Jesus and be saved. I'm praying for those who need a church home that, God, you have spoken to and said, this is the place. If you haven't, then, God, let them go find where you do want them to be. But, Lord, I know it's your will that we be faithful in serving you wherever it is. God, I pray for people this morning who came into this building beaten down and depressed and really not wanting to go anywhere or do anything. Oh, God, would you slip up next to them. Put your arm around them and strengthen them and encourage them and let them know that they're special in your sight, that they are somebody. They can hold their head up and walk in the newness of life with Jesus Christ. God, they can leave this building and be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your will be done in each life that's in this place today. And we'll give you glory and praise for it in Jesus' name. Would you stand?